foyer before you leave, or you can find myself or Miss Corinne before you leave this morning, or you can email the church office. And maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I'm okay. I, I, I'm, I'm doing fine. I don't think that's something, but boy, I, I know somebody who could really use that. Well, encourage that person to go. Come with them and attend with them. Come during that 9 to noon time. Uh, then we'll do this again before Christmas in the month of December. And if you or someone you know could benefit from that, but the days here don't work, we put the dates that this will be happening at First Baptist Wahoo as well. So again, that's in your bulletin. It's also on that sign-up sheet in the foyer. We think that's a very important ministry for us to offer. So please, please be sure, if you're going through a time of grief, to sign up for Surviving the Holidays. I trust it will bless you. But if you would join with me, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get ready to continue worshiping Him by looking at His Word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this day. Now I thank You for everybody who's here so that we could gather together to worship You. And today, today we celebrate everything that You've done here. That You would bless First Baptist Church of Oxford to be here for 144 years. That's not about us, Father. And, and I pray that you would help us to always remember that. It's not about great things that we've done. It's because of your grace, your goodness, that we're still here. And I pray that however long you allow us to be in this community, that we would be a church passionate about pointing people to Jesus Christ. That we would be all about sharing the Gospel with others. That we would be a church with doors that are open to the broken and the hurting. That we would be a church that's built up in love and unity and a church that is maturing in our faith together so that we are becoming more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, has never received that free gift of forgiveness and salvation that you offer, I pray that today all of that would change. And we pray that everything that happens here today, with the remainder of this service, the meal afterwards, everything that happens, that you would be honored and glorified. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking about the fact that when, a, when this small group of, of Christians formed First Baptist Church of Oxford back in 1879, I don't think they knew or could have imagined that we would be here 144 years later together. But you know what? God knew. He knew we would be here. I don't think those believers knew how the world would change over the years either. And times are sure different from when they first started out together as a church. Just think about all the things that have happened since then. I mean, when our church was founded, they were decades away from either world wars ever taking place. A great architecture like the Statue of Liberty, the Eiffel Tower, the Empire State Building, these weren't standing when our church was founded. In fact, mankind was almost a century away from putting someone on the moon and more than a century away from the birth of the Internet. Not only that, but there are countries today like Australia, Cuba, Poland, Norway, Israel, that weren't independent countries back in 1879. Now, I don't think our church's founders knew how much the world was going to change over the years. But God knew. I don't think those believers knew how much this area and this community would change. In fact, I'm certain that they didn't know. You want to know how I'm sure of that? 
Have you ever wondered why the back of our sanctuary faces the main road, faces 301? Let me tell you why it does. You see, back in the day, 301 was not uh, as big a deal as it is now. It wasn't very heavily traveled. Now, to confirm this suspicion of mine, I talked to a couple members this week who have lived here their whole lives. They grew up here decades ago. And they confirmed for me that 301 was once, that's just a two-lane road. Maybe 100 cars drove by here in a day. And they said that when a car drove by, you waved to them because you knew who it was. In fact, one member said she used to lay out on 301 as a little girl because she could hear a car coming way off in the distance. She had plenty of time to get out of the way before it got there. But times have changed. In fact, the Florida Department of Transportation says that over 26,000 cars drive past our church every single day out here on 301. So you better believe we wish our sanctuary faced the main road. But you know, our founders, especially... Those in 1879, they didn't know how much Oxford was going to change. But God knew. They didn't know the struggles that our church would endure, like the sanctuary that was struck by lightning and burned down in the 1950s. Or when, I, when our church experienced a, a major split in the 1990s. In fact, I learned this morning about another split that happened a couple decades before that. They didn't know that all those things were going to happen. Nor did they know the great things that we would experience, like the salvations, the baptisms, and the lives that were changed. But God knew about all these things. And here's the thing, First Baptist Church, the same way that God knew back in 1879 that all these things were going to happen, in the same way today, our great God knows everything that is still to come. You see, nothing catches our great God off guard. Nothing surprises Him. And today, as we celebrate 144 years in this community, let's remember, this isn't about celebrating us. This is about celebrating our great God. This is about praising him for the things that he has done here. We need to remember that it's only by his grace and his goodness that we remain. And even though we live in uncertain and difficult times, we can rejoice today. Just like our founders of this church could rejoice because these times aren't uncertain to God. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Because God knows what's next for our church, for our country, for our lives. We're going to look at this truth in Psalm 139 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. To Psalm 139. And there we're going to see this truth that God does. He just knows. He knows what's next. He knows everything that's coming. And we're going to see why this truth should impact us as individuals and why it should impact us as a church moving forward. Psalm 139. We're going to begin in verse 1. As you turn there, I'll let you know, and you'll see this if you're turning there in your Bible at the, the top before verse 1, that this is a psalm written by David. We're going to see what he had to say to the Lord. Verse 1, David writes, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Wait for just a second. We'll come to verse 2 in just a second. I want us to understand the gravity of what David just said. He said, You have searched me, Lord, and you, you know me. Okay, this, this applies to all of us today, okay? I want us to understand the gravity of this. There are currently over 8 billion people in the world, and I want all of us to understand that the God of the universe knows you. 
God knows you, friends. He knows you. And I'm not just saying he knows of you or that he knows your name. Look what David said next. Verse 2. He said, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. All right, let's pause here for just a couple minutes. Look, God doesn't just know that you exist, although he does. He doesn't just know your name, although he does. No, God knows everything about you. He knows when you sit down and when you rise up. He knows when you go out, when you lie down. He is familiar with all your ways. God knows everything that you do. And if we're honest, there's a part of us that is rightly terrified by this. Because that means that God sees even those so-called secret sins in our lives, those things that we try and hide from others. They're not secret to him. David knew that, by the way. Don't forget that David thought he could hide his sin with Bathsheba from others, but he could not hide that from God. No, nothing that we do is hidden from God. Many years ago, there was a sculptor who was commissioned to make a statue, just a small statue. It was going to go in this little cutout part of a wall. So you make a statue, put it in that little cutout, and that's where it was going to sit. Well, as he was working on it one day, somebody was passing by. They noticed how intently he was working on the back of the statue. So they said, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time working on the back? Nobody's going to see that. Well, the sculptor said, that's not true. He said, God is always going to be seeing the back of this statue. And so he was determined to work just as hard on what was unseen to men because that sculptor understood that God knows and sees all things. And we should be encouraged by the fact that God knows us completely and his hand is on us. That should encourage us, and I pray that it does. I mean, after all, have you ever, have you ever felt misunderstood? That people just didn't understand. They didn't get you. Did you ever feel that no one, no, one, no one could ever understand the things that you're feeling? Have you ever thought that? that? That nobody could ever understand the anxiety in the depths of your heart and your mind. That nobody could ever grasp the fear that has a hold of you. Have you ever thought those things? Well, the good news is that God knows all about those feelings, those thoughts. He knows everything about you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 that God knows even the number of hairs on our heads. So does it surprise us that God knows the thoughts inside of our heads? David said, you perceive my thoughts from afar. And God doesn't just know every word we speak. No, David said, you know the words we're going to speak before we even say them. How incredible is the knowledge of God? So much so that look what David said in verse 6. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Church, God's knowledge is it's just too wonderful, I think, for us to fully appreciate. Too lofty to grasp, too deep to fully explore. God knows everything about everything. Now, this is what we refer to in biblical theology as God's 
omniscience. That's the word that we would use for that, that God is omniscient. The reason we use that word is because the first part of it, omni, means all or every. Science refers to knowledge. Okay, God has all knowledge. He is all knowing. He knows everything. He knows all things, past, present, and future. All right? That's how great our God is. That means that he knows all the choices that we could make, and he knows the choices that we will freely choose to make. And I'll be honest with you, that's a really hard thing to grasp if you choose to sit there and think long and hard about it. And the reason for that is we're finite beings trying to understand the infinite knowledge of God. The great thing is we don't have to fully understand it. But if we know this truth, it will set us free to trust him and then to consider our ways. But there's more that I want us to see. Look at verse 7. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, not only is God omniscient, God is also omnipresent, which means that God is everywhere present. There's nowhere you can go where you will be without God's presence. God is with you, believer. You need to remember that, that God, God is with you. Where can you go that you could flee from his spirit and his presence? David listed a few. Do you think you can think of any? Where, where could we go? Well, the highest heavens, the deepest reaches of the universe, even the depths of the grave. Ooh, he's there with you. You can go to the remotest part of the earth. God's still there. And look, this is, this is only bad news for those who want to run from God. It's the only people that will see this as bad news. Jonah learned that the hard way, didn't he? Many of us are familiar with the story of Jonah. It's found in Scripture. But God called Jonah to do something great. Go, preach, preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. So he tried to go the other way. He tried to flee from God. Well, that's when Jonah found out that you cannot do that. There was nowhere that he could flee from God's presence. As a consequence, as many of us know, Jonah took up residence for three days and nights in the dark and stinking belly of a great fish sent by God. You see, Jonah learned that you can't escape God's presence or God's sight, and neither can we. And God's continual presence should be a joy, should be a delight to our hearts. I mean, have you ever, have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt all alone? Maybe, maybe you were even around other people, but they didn't know you or they didn't know what you were going through, and so you felt completely isolated. Maybe you feel that way even now. There have been a number of studies this year about what they're calling the loneliness epidemic in our world, not just in America, but in, in our world. There was a worldwide survey that was done that found that about one in four people, 25% of the world's population, say that they feel lonely in their daily lives. The good news, believer, 
is that even when you feel lonely, even when you are all alone and there are no people with you, God is still with you. And maybe his presence feels far away to you. In which case, Christian, I would encourage you to take heart and remember the truth of James chapter 4, verse 8, which tells us that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. You may not always feel his presence in your situation, believer, but if you continue to trust and follow him, I trust that your eyes will be open to the fact that he is with you. He is present where you are, even if you don't quite feel that way because of your circumstances. In fact, consider the example of Joseph. I think he's a great example of this. In case you're not familiar with the story, Joseph, his story is found in the book of Genesis. And Joseph, you see, he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was sold by his own flesh and blood and sent to a foreign land where he didn't know anybody. You want to talk about loneliness. But in the midst of that, Genesis 39 says, the Lord was with Joseph. And then we see that things start to get a little better for Joseph, and then all of a sudden, Joseph, he's falsely accused, he's tossed in prison like a common criminal, everybody turns against him, but it says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Four times in Genesis 39, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. But you know, I read Joseph's story, and I think to myself, that perhaps, maybe there were times where Joseph, we struggled to see that. Because there were some tough times that he went through. Maybe he struggled to see that the Lord was with him at times until he saw the things the Lord was doing in his life. And he did see what God was doing in his life. Later, years later, when Joseph was reunited with his family, he told them. He said, look, I see how God used all of this evil for good. I see all the ways that God was with me. God was with Joseph in the highs and the lows that he experienced in Egypt. And God is with you in the highs and the lows that you're experiencing in your life. No matter where you are in this life or in this world, God is with you. And believer, his hand will be there to guide you and hold you fast. No darkness can bury you away from his sight. No struggle can keep him from seeing you. No valley or mountain escapes his view. God is everywhere present, and he is absolutely present with you, believer. Don't forget that. There's a story of a young girl who I think got this truth down really well at her church. One day she was coming home from church. It was a Sunday, and she got on the public bus, sat next to a man. That man was clearly not a Christian because he looked down, saw her Sunday school papers, and decided he was going to tease, he was going to make fun of this girl. So he looked at her and he said, hey, I tell you what. He said, if you can tell me where God is, I'll give you an apple. Well, she thought for a second and looked at him and said, Mister, if you tell me a place where God isn't, I'll give you a basket of apples. <laughs> I think she got it. Look, I don't know what you're facing and what situation you're finding yourself in this week, Christian, but I know that you aren't facing it alone. God is with you. In fact, he's promised his people in Hebrews 13 that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And as David pointed out, there's nowhere we can go that we could flee from his presence. Not only that, but I want you to know that God's eye has been on you long, long before what you are enduring right now. Look at verse 13. 
David writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Look, God doesn't just know you now. He knew you before anybody else ever did. In fact, when you were in your mother's womb, before she knew that you were in her womb, before you ever kicked, before you ever rolled over inside of her, God saw you. He created you. He, he didn't just see an unborn child. He saw you. He saw you. And he knew who you would become. He knew the triumphs and the tragedies that you would face in this life all before you ever took your first breath. There's a lot that mankind has learned about babies developing in the womb. Let me give you just a few examples. We know that in the first month, the baby's face, arms, and legs are formed. And by the end of the first month, that little heart starts to beat. In month two, the baby's organs have formed. They continue to develop. And even then, in month two, that baby can wrap its little fingers around an object. By month three, that little one is able to smile. By month four, the baby has his or her fingerprints and can suck their little thumb. Just a few examples of things that we now know. There's a lot that we know about the unborn child, but nothing compared to what God knows. He knows every detail of that child because he powerfully and wonderfully creates each of us. In fact, as I read this this week and as I looked at this passage, I need to pause for just a moment because we can't look at such a lofty passage like this without pausing for a very important reminder, and that's that we need to recognize this passage is a reminder of why Christians do and should so strongly oppose abortion. No child is unwanted in God's eyes. They're precious in His sight. He creates them all in His image, and He cares for them, and so should we. As an encouragement, church, if you know anyone now or in the future struggling with pregnancy, point them to Crisis Pregnancy Centers, like Choices Pregnancy Center, a ministry of First Baptist Church of Wildwood that we support. Or if you know anyone who's struggling with the guilt of having had an abortion, point them to Jesus Christ, where forgiveness is found. God is powerfully and wonderfully created each of us. This passage holds a special meaning for my heart in this season of my life and that my wife is pregnant again. She had an appointment recently and we were really hoping to find out whether we were having a boy or a girl. We didn't. We did not find out that news. The doctor looked at her and just said, well, it's, it's a little too early for us to tell. And we understand that. But we know it's not too early for God. We know that God knows who this child is going to be. 
knows everything about this child of ours. He's known from eternity past, just like he's known everything about you, my friend. Everything about you. And not only did God know you in the womb, but he knows all the days that you're going to have on this earth. David said, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see, God didn't just know when your beginning would be. He already knows when your end will be. Reminds me of the story of King Hezekiah. If you're not familiar with his story, part of it can be found in 2 Kings chapter 20, which is what I'm going to be mentioning right now. And that's that Hezekiah, he, uh, he got sick. So he was laying there in bed sick, and God sent the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah said, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah God said this one, this is it, Hezekiah. You're going to die from this. Hezekiah knew that that must be true, because the word came from God, and God knows when the end of our days will be. But we find in 2 Kings 20 that Hezekiah cried out to God in prayer, and God, the giver of life, said he would add 15 years to Hezekiah's life, and he did. I encourage you to go read that story about God's greatness, because God, our God, is the giver of life, and he is the one who knows when the end of our lives will be. He saw all our days before we were yet born, before we were a glimmer in our parents' eyes, before we walked a single day on this earth, God saw us and knew us. Sadly, there are some people, despite these truths, who in moments of despair have begun to think that God didn't create them for any purpose. Maybe they were a mistake. They think that they're destined simply to just move through the motions of life until the clock strikes zero. In case you're ever tempted to think something like that, please recognize that the God who powerfully and wonderfully created you and who marked out your days did not do these things for no purpose. The God who knows you, who is with you, and who created you, he has a purpose for you. He marked out your days, and he has a plan and purpose for you in these days. If you're here in Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells the Christian. It says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has things in mind for us to do, Christians. Already prepared for us. God has things that He desires for us to do. It's part of His will for our lives. Surely we will have the time needed to do these things that God has prepared. So long as we're faithful to be obedient, we will have the time we need. As one dear pastor put it, he said, if we live foolishly, we might die before the time that God has ordained. But, if God's children are faithful, we are immortal until our work is done. In other words, God gives us all the time we need to do what he has prepared for us. He has a purpose for you, believer. He has a purpose for you in your life. God knows our beginning, he knows our end, and he knows everything we're supposed to be doing in between there. David's right. God's knowledge, his thoughts are are vast. And if we were to count them, I think David's absolutely right. They would outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. No surprise, a group of researchers has tried to figure out how many grains of sand there really are on the earth. (laughs) So, of course, I had to share that with you. I still don't fully understand how they came to this. Something about... How many grains fit in a teaspoon multiplied by however many teaspoons would be on the deserts and the beaches? I don't know. 
But in their calculations, this group of scientists estimate that there are over seven quintillion grains of sand in the world. And let's say the true number is, is double that amount, triple that amount. Even so, this would still pale in comparison to the thoughts of God. And all the things we've read still don't describe everything that God knows. Look at verse 19. David continued and he said, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. At first glance, this may seem a little out of character with the rest of the psalm. That's not the case. You see, in considering the greatness of God, all that God knows, all that God has done, in seeing and considering the greatness of God, David, David becomes deeply offended by those who God created, those individuals who hate and reject God. David described them as wicked, bloodthirsty, evil, blasphemers who hate and rebel against the Lord. And maybe, maybe like David, there have been times in your life where you've looked at the wickedness in the world and you've cried out in a similar way to God. I think a good thing for us to remember, church, is that not only does God know you, God knows everybody else too. God knows you and he knows everybody else, which means that he's aware of the wicked and their rebellion against him. Which, though, has led many people, including Christians, to wonder, well, okay, if God knows everything about everyone, including all these evildoers, why not get rid of all the evildoers? Why allow them to remain? There are a number of answers to that question, but as Christians, I pray that we would know that one of the answers to that, one of the reasons, is that God is giving the wicked time to repent. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God desires that all men would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we find that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. So, you know, intellectually and spiritually, we can understand the answer. God's delay is a part of His mercy and His grace. But personally, let's be honest, it can be hard when we look and we see all this evil like David did. We saw this evil going around. And like David, that, that zeal for God and His greatness builds up in our hearts. We see, we see evil people. They're mocking God's name. They hate Him. They reject Him. And then they commit all these wicked deeds. And we start to think to ourselves, what am I supposed to do about all this? The answer, believers, is that we're supposed to trust God about all of this. We trust that the all-knowing God, who has told us what will happen, knows what will happen. And that means that, first of all, we need to understand that none of the free choices of men are going to thwart God's plans. And second, that means that God's justice is going to be carried out in its proper time 
just like God has said many places in his word, in scripture. And we need to trust those things. God knows what's next for you, for me, for this church, for this world, and for those who stubbornly reject him. He knows what's next. This is what God said in Isaiah 46, verse 10. God said, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what's still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So, so when you're discouraged by all this evil that is so prevalent in the world, choose to trust in our all-knowing God. And then, like David, let's examine our own hearts. Let's ask God to search our hearts and reveal any evil in our own lives because God knows our hearts. And when he reveals that, then let's repent of those things, reject that sin so that we can live the way that God has marked out for us. So we can live according to his purposes. Because church, we can trust that God knows what comes next. I wanted to preach this psalm for a number of reasons today. And it's not just because we're in a series on the psalms. I've had many people talk to me lately about how difficult and uncertain things in our world and in our country are becoming. They're right. Things are uncertain to us. But not to God. And today, as we celebrate 144 years of God's goodness here, my prayer is that would be a reminder to us that the same God who has seen our church through many circumstances, many difficult days and difficult times, is going to continue to see us through these times. He always knew that we were going to face these days. That means that we can trust him as a church. And believers, that means we can trust him in our lives too. See, the truth this morning for us as believers is this. Trusting that God knows everything is going to help us when we realize we know nothing. So remember, that trusting that God knows everything will help us when we know nothing. In other words, when we don't know why we're going through a certain struggle, or when this difficulty is going to end, or when justice is going to come about, or, or we don't know why our purpose seems unclear. In those moments in our lives and in our church, we need to remember and trust that God knows all things. And he knows the answer to those things. And because of that, he is worthy of being followed. And I pray, First Baptist Church of Oxford, that we would continue to follow him in unity together. Because you know what? God knows what's next for us. I don't know what it is, but I'm excited for it. And I'm excited for us to follow God together into whatever he has in mind for First Baptist Church of Oxford. So in a moment, as we sing a final song, I'm going to encourage you, let's, let's sing out. Let's rejoice and praise God for his great goodness because he is great and he is worthy of being praised. But maybe you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior. You've never given your life to the Lord. And if that's true for you, then friend, the truth that I want you to know before you leave is that God created you. He, he had you in mind. Wonderfully, powerfully, He created you. And God has a purpose for you. And I want you to understand that the greatest purpose He has for you is to have a relationship with Him. 
But before you leave, I just want you to know why you don't have that right now. And I want you to understand how you can have that relationship before you leave. You see, the Bible says the problem is that all of us have sinned. We've all done bad things. It's what we do when we lie and cheat and steal and lust and take God's name in vain. All these types of things. And the Bible says the reason our sin is a problem is because it's separating us from God. We can't have that relationship with Him that we were made for. Because He's holy. He's righteous. And the problem gets worse. The Bible says the just punishment for our sin is that after this life, we're going to be separated forever from God in a place called hell. In fact, the Bible says we, we can't make up for our sin. We can't earn our way to God. Not by going to church. Not by giving or tithing or being generous or being kind. None of these things are going to get us to God. And the good news is that in His love for us, He came to us. Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross. When He did that, He was paying the penalty for your sins and mine. Taking the punishment that we deserve. After He died, He was buried, and three days later, He powerfully rose from the dead. And Jesus stands in heaven right now, ready to forgive you of all your sin, so that you can be made right in His sight. So you could step into that relationship, and it's one that you will never lose. He wants to pardon you from the penalty of hell and give you eternal life, the guarantee that after this life you'll be with him in heaven. And friend, if you have never stepped into that relationship with Jesus, if you have never given your life to him, please understand you can do that before you leave. You're in a room filled with people who made that decision in their lives, and they will rejoice to know that you have too. The Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're ready to do that today, we want to give you the chance. Would you pray with me? Friend, if you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior, please understand, during this final song, you can come to the front and talk with me. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you want to pray alongside someone. Come to the front and let's talk together. Let's pray. You can go to the back if you prefer, and there are some deacons. Pastor Brandon will be back there. But maybe you're ready right now. You, you don't want to wait. You want to give your life to Jesus right now. And if that's true for you, I don't want you to wait another moment. You can follow me in a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commands. I know that I'm separated from you. But Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. And I believe you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to be my Savior. Jesus, today I'm giving you my life. I'm ready to live it for you and for the purposes that you have marked out for me from eternity past. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who made that decision, that they would share it with someone before they leave. Because they are in a room filled with people that would love to rejoice with them. There is nothing greater than when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ. And Father, for those of us who have done that, we praise You for Your great grace and Your mercy that You are so patient with us. And we thank You for Your grace and mercy and being patient with people today. 
Help us to be a church that's faithful to share the good news of salvation with others. Father, I'm convinced that is one of the reasons why you have blessed us to remain is so that we could continue to share the gospel as a church. Help us to do that in this community. This community doesn't need a church that's been around a long time. They need a church that knows Jesus and is going to make him known. So help us to do that together. Father, I pray that however many days you continue to have for First Baptist Church of Oxford, that they would be lived out for you. That this is a place where you would be glorified. That this is a place where we would be unified as we strive to know you more. Father, we love you. But for 144 years, you have proved to this church time and time again that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.